Greetings and salutations, board games fans. This is episode 32 of the Dice Pirates podcast. We're going to be jumping into some deck building games, talk about some games we really like, break down sort of why the genre works and where it's come from its origins. And then we're going to talk about a spicy discussion I think we're going to have is are they better digitally or on the table itself? I, of course, am your host, Ian, joined by Aaron and Matt. How are you guys doing today? Hey, 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 hey. Smooth sailing out here on the waters with the Dice Pirates. I felt like we hadn't done a nautical pun in a while. We don't do nearly as many nautical puns as you promised at the beginning. Yeah, I had uh, high hopes for it. But, you know, I think it's time we raise our sails once again for the nautical puns. I mean, that's that's all campaign promises are, you know. You promise one thing on the trail, <laughs> the you beginning. get elected yeah. captain of the ship, and then it's just all... Yeah. I mean, off. to be fair, this ship has gone so far off the rails. We've crashed. We've crashed onto desert islands multiple times. Speaking of crashed boats, Matt, I know you wanted to talk about Robinson Crusoe, and how did you like that segue? That was like the smoothest segue. It was like butter. I'm, <laughs> I, I now I'm I'm so stunned by the segue. I don't even know if I can remember uh, what I wanted to talk about. Uh, no, I wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, uh, Dice Pirate Dennis and I's first attempt at playing Robinson Crusoe, Adventures on the Cursed Island. Uh, this is a, uh, well, uh, known and, uh, relatively beloved, uh, cooperative game that is, uh, notorious for being highly thematic, really complex, and also super, super hard. And I gotta be honest with you, I did not see the difficulty curve in it until it hits. Like some games have like this gradual slope of difficulty and complexity, and this was a game that like the difficulty curve was a wall, <laughs> and it was hilarious. Uh, so what's the game all about? It's exactly what it sounds like. You are castaways on a desert island. You're trying to survive. It's wonderfully thematic. Every choice you have to make is tied into stuff that you would expect you'd have to do to survive on a desert island. You've got to gather food and resources to build you need to you need shelter you need fire you need uh tools or other implements to keep wild uh, predators at bay um it's got these cruel imp improbably cruel dice to where uh anytime you try to take an action if you assign one worker to an action you uh it's not guaranteed to be a success you have to roll at least three dice to see uh is it successful what you tried to do uh did you hurt yourself trying to do it and did an uh, encounter happen and uh there's nothing uh more humbling than like trying to uh when you're playing the carpenter and you're like trying to uh, i want to make a i want to make a, a hatchet and you somehow manage to not only not make the hatchet but like hurt yourself along the way that's fantastic and suffer a wound so it's a but it's a really good game and so where it uh, took a really wild turn is the slow introduction of like environmental dangers so in the scenario that we played for like the first four or five turns there's no weather and so everything is like smooth sailing and the objective of the game is to gather enough wood to build a big uh, bonfire to signal a boat and by about turn uh five or six we had accumulated a ton of wood on our bonfire we had a rudimentary shelter built and we were thinking like oh this is like i was like we got this like we're obviously well who said this game was hard uh the very next turn is when you introduce these weather dice and it is just comically ridiculous you roll the dice overnight to see what the weather was and a massive snowstorm rolls in which is already hilarious because you're on a tropical island which meant that we had burned up our entire wood pile just trying to survive and then there was no, our our stupid palm branch roof wasn't uh sturdy enough to survive the rain we got cold we got soaked we suffered like hypothermia and we were dead within like two turns after like thinking like i mean we <laughs> we literally went from being like this game is like like this is overhyped like we got this to like oh oh we've horribly miscalculated oh no <laughs> and then we were dead uh but it was so thematic i almost couldn't be mad at it because it was exactly like what you would expect to happen like we didn't have a good enough shelter the weather turned bad we got cold and we died uh, it was miserable, but I can't stop thinking about it. I'm dying, uh, honestly dying to play it again. I, yeah, I was going to ask, because, I mean, it sounds very thematic, and I remember that's something that Carly mentioned, because she brought this up when we did our cooperative game episode uh, last year, how just thematic the game is, because it really drops you into the actual like moment of what you're doing. So it sounds like it was just a really cool 
like experience where you like it gave you that feeling like you were doing well before really just hitting you with the you know enormity of living on a deserted island yeah it was uh it it, it truly is it is one of the most thematic things i've played if, if you remember way back uh, way back ian when we did our episode on theme and games and like what that means my personal like definition of theme was basically something like you know, a game that gives you like a clearly defined identity, and all the choices you make like like come logically from that. So it's like you know who you are and what you're supposed to be doing, and everything flows from that. And that's exactly what this game is. Like, you are on a desert island, and on your turn, you have to start thinking, okay, like what's the priority right now? Do I need to eat? Do I need to get the shelter up? Do I need to be working toward the trying to escape the island? In hindsight, that was the mistake we made. I, you know, this is a, a pro tip. Uh, we were so focused on getting that bonfire up that we needed, like, we didn't think about, oh, we should probably use some of this wood to, like, you know, build our shelter up. Uh, but yeah, it's really good. It, it, it was sort of like, okay, if I lost this again, like, how many times could I lose it before I would like not want to play it? Like, it's, it's maybe like a little bit too hard, and it's one of those games with so many finicky rules. Like, we ended up making it a lot harder on ourselves because we didn't realize until, like, right at the end when we were about to die that because we were playing two players, we should have been using a third AI companion. Like, we didn't have really have enough action. We didn't really have enough actions between the two of us to do it. So maybe it would have been even, like, a little bit easier. But we actually uh, we gave ourselves, like, an extra life. After we initially died, we played one more round with the AI uh, companion just to see how much of a difference it would make, and we still died. So we just were in a bad position. <laughs> <laughs> We couldn't do it, but it's good. I would, I would definitely play it again. Um, it's if you're looking for a, if you're looking for a challenge. It's, it's legit. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it wouldn't be a Dice Pirates cooperative game night without definitely getting a couple rules wrong. We always make the every time we've ever gotten a significant rule wrong like that in a co-op game. It's always like to our like detriment. We've never like made a game easier for ourselves. We've always made it like ridiculously harder. It is genuinely crazy how hard. Like Dead of Winter specifically, we made so hard but no that's oh, yeah. awesome it sounds like a really fun game and i hope that we get a chance to play it together the next time i see you because i mean it is like i said very thematic so i'd love to finally get the opportunity to, to pick that up i would actually like to briefly talk about some games that i played uh just uh this past weekend i had the chance to visit family and uh, my sisters actually pulled out some of the the very small uh essentially like they're if you've been to Barnes and Noble, if you know on your way out the door, and they have that, you know, just stand with a bunch of small tchotchkes, and there's a bunch of, you know, decks. Uh, there's a bunch of cards that are in these little boxes that are probably like, you know, the size of a pack of gum, and each one is a different self-contained game that you can play. And so we had a couple of those, and we played some, uh, specifically one that was interesting called Spy, where you have uh, six cards in your hand. And you have to guess what the other people have in their hand. You're trying to find the secrets that they have in their hand. So you need to find the safes first. And you have a couple safes, you have secrets, and you have bombs. And if somebody asks you what a card is and it's a bomb, then you flip it over. And the next time they ask what it is, if it's if they've asked about the bomb again, or if somebody else asks about that bomb, the person who asked about it is blown up and they're removed from the game. So it's like a, it's a deduction game where you have to choose, but there's also this movement component where you can only ask about the card that your character is looking at. And your character is one of the cards in your hand that you can move back and forth is a lot. It's actually quite interesting. You know, I mean, there's a, a fair bit to it for it being such a small game with only like a very small number of cards, but I actually really enjoyed getting to play it because I mean, I think so often because we play these huge box games, I mean, you know, Robinson Crusoe, especially, I mean, it's a, like you said, huge game, very finicky rules. It's nice to pick up super tiny games. that still have a lot of like depth and complexity and just fun to them, even in such a tiny little package. So I think it's if you see those, you know, Maybe consider picking one up. I mean, they're obviously cheap, but, you know, it's fun to try something a little different. That's cool. I like that. I like that idea, too, these games that you could literally put in a pocket. It, what's the company that does those little wallet-sized games uh, in uh, a little pouch? Button Shy. Those button Shy. Also. Yeah, it's kind of... I got getting, like, Button Shy vibes, you know, from these. But these are awesome for, like, taking to a pub or something. And, like, uh, just uh, if you're hanging out with uh, friends around a table, just bust a game out of your pocket or your fanny pack. You know, wherever you keep your small, small, small games. So we are going to go ahead and move on. We are going to have kind of an offshoot of rulebook randomness. Normally, I like to bring you guys some of the like craziest things 
that you know we found in rule books some of the most bizarre rules that there are but also i mean the one thing that you have to have in almost every single game is who's going to go first and so i kind of want to bring bring off some of the some of the oddest and, and most interesting rules that people have for determining first player because anybody can roll a die and choose a first player but that's just not that's just not fun that's not engaging i'm so excited for this i'm i'm such a huge fan of just incredibly stupid out there first player rules because it's obviously a joke it's obviously the designer or the somebody is just having a little bit of fun and i'll see people online get just so mad <laughs> about like it's re- the first player is the last person to climb machu picchu like yeah or you can just like place like do anything else it's fine calm down reginald it's just, like, you're having fun so yeah reginald. so some of them are some of them are simple like for instance if you're playing gloom player who gets to go first is the player who has had the worst day so of course then everyone's like no my day sucked way more than yours did i promise yeah then of course you know if so, like similarly you know player who got up earliest on the day on that day gets to go first with smash up but then you get some that are getting a little more fun like the player who most recently earned glory in battle goes first from champions of midgard that's awesome because now i got to define like battle uh you know i think just surviving my morning commute feels like a battle and so I mean, I think... unfortunately i feel like that sounds like a dice pirate dennis always gets to go first well, uh, you know, true. it's not it's not <laughs> it's not fair because he actually sword fights. Uh, so he's gonna get that every time, and I don't like it. Yeah, so he is actually the next time you play Champions of Midgard, he has to go first by the rules of the game. We have, we have to remember that for sure. Two of the ones, so the two that I, I personally enjoyed the most is uh, the next one is from the Great Heartland Hauling Company game, and the player with either the best mustache or the longest hair goes first. If one player has a very nice mustache and the other player has the longest hair, settle the issue with an arm wrestling match. Yes. That's phenomenal. <laughs> well, they anticipated the conflict, and they were like, we gotta, we got to put a tiebreaker in here. And what, if, what if you have both? What if, what if he's got a really great mustache? So all this means is that eventually Dennis and I are going to have to arm wrestle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your lustrous locks versus his uh, meticulously formatted mustache. Formatted? Is that the word? Yeah, let's go with that. Meticulously formatted. <laughs> so, I mean, some of these, you know, make sense, but then some are, are clearly just, just having fun with it. Like, the, one of my favorite ones from The Bridges of Shangri-La. The player who most recently reached the peak of Mount Everest, using nothing but blue and white checkered stilts carved from the wood of a mammoth tree, is declared the starting player. In the case of a tie, the wisest player of the group begins the game uh the white whoever's the wisest of the group the wisest of the group well like the problem with that is is like i'm gonna go first every time like when we play (laughs) as the like moral and spiritual center of the dice pirates uh you know i am the master splinter of this entire operation that's been stated what i love about this one is that not only does it just throw some completely off the wall stuff at you it still manages to start a fight at the beginning anyways what i love about like these first player rules too is that they're clearly meant to be like a little bit like wink wink haha and then you just you know pick who's gonna go first but like when you play with kids who are very literal and they want like every every rule is an opportunity to be like better than somebody else yes these start a fight and like very (laughs) recently when you were doing this, uh, when you brought this up, I had this memory, and I had to go look the game up because I couldn't remember exactly how the fight broke out. But we were playing Trash Pandas, which is a lovely little dice uh, push-your-luck game from uh, Game Right, and uh, great with kids. And I was playing it uh, with what, with my son and stepson. And the first player role is whoever took the trash out for uh, whoever took the trash out is the first player. And a massive argument broke out about who took the trash out last which by the way i know good and well was not either of the children never (laughs) never have i seen them even like remotely consider taking out the trash but in their mind they were like well that school the other day i had to do and i was like no doesn't count it's at home and i always take out the trash (laughs) i threw away my cheeseburger wrapper so technically yeah it was basically like that. Like there was all these like technicalities. Like like one time I saw some trash and I thought about throwing it away. <laughs> I gave it an earnest like thought that I might. Now I, I would imagine that 
after this, they did th neither of them made any attempts to take out the trash afterwards. I oh no, not at all. I mean, once it was <laughs> once there was no advantage. Once they realized they weren't going to get to go first. Uh, <laughs> so yes, these jokes are. It's all joking aside until some kids get involved, and then it's like serious business. It can get the the first player is definitely the most serious part of the entire board game. I do like that a lot of games can have fun with it though, because I mean, yeah, you can easily just roll a die, but it's nice to at least have a a little bit of joke when you get into it. Another good one is Bluffin Ears, who uh, the first player is uh, the person who has the best pirate voice. So now you get to start, you have to start your game of Bluffin Ear with a round of everybody testing out their pirate voice. So it's like a mini game inside the game. Yes. Oh, and it's so good too because then it gets you in that you know m in that mood. So you have to you have to start doing a voice for the whole game. So uh, it's such such a good one. I love the love everything about that game. Of course, we love that game, but. We're going to go ahead and move on to our main discussion. We're going to talk about some deck building games. So we're going to go ahead and get to that in just a minute. Alrighty, and welcome back to the Dice Pirates. And we're going to go ahead and dive into our main topic this week. And today we are talking about uh, a favorite genre, a stalwart, uh, tried and true genre of board gaming. And that is deck builders. Uh, what are they? Uh, why are they so fun? Uh, and most controversially, are they better digital? Uh, they're not, but Aaron thinks they are. And we're going to hear him out because this is a democracy. Uh, but, <laughs> well, they might, actually, they might be. Um, so, but let's get into it. So what is a deck building game? So a deck building game is exactly what it sounds like. You've probably played one, but if you hadn't, it is a game about building and drafting cards to build your own uh, custom deck. Basically, every game uh, in this genre is going to have some variation of this mechanic. You're going to start the game off with a uh, basic hand of cards that give you the ability to either buy more cards from some type of a pool or to attack or uh, take some other action on the board to score points or to feature opponent. And uh, you're going to use your spendy power to get more cards into your deck and hopefully create interesting combinations and abilities. And that's really where the fun starts to happen. Most of these games, the good ones anyway, are going to have really thinky, really interesting uh, uh, combos that you can start to develop where you realize this one card sets you up to play this, to do this and do that. And uh, that feeling of building like an intricate little machine uh, and watching it run is kind of what gives deck building their little serotonin boost of like makes them so fun. The other thing that's great about them is they sort of take the experience of developing uh, a deck with a collectible card game like Magic or something and uh, getting your deck like just right, but instead of having to do that over a long period of time by buying booster packs and refining it, uh, that plays out over an hour or however long the game is, that experience of slowly compiling like your custom deck and making it awesome. Uh, it's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty uh, beloved genre with a lot of really classic, all-time classic board games in it. Um, and we're just going to kind of popcorn around and talk about some of our favorites. But um, I guess before we get into that, I want to hear from you guys. Do you guys like deck builders? What do you like about them? I love deck builders. It is top one or two mechanical like types of game for me. Uh, I think I, I, when I first got started in real quote-unquote board games, uh, the the first real game that anyone ever taught me uh, was my brother, Dice Pirate Max, mm -hmm. taught me Magic the Gathering. Right. And basically every other game I've ever played in my whole life has just been me chasing that dragon over and over again trying to find something <laughs> that feels as good as that does um and and deck builders are really good at giving you that that moment to moment uh like i i am uh i, I believe it's a, a spike player in the magic the gathering player archetypes mm -hmm. of i don't necessarily care if i win the game as long as i get to pull off this absurd combo of like chaining things into things into other things and at the end of it i got like two points but it took me 15 minutes and a dozen cards to pull off and that's a very good feeling for me because i found the the hidden interaction i found yeah the game behind the game 
And I think deck builders are really good at encouraging that that type of behavior, uh, similarly to something like a like engine builders, where it's all about you just have this pile of stuff, you have this handful of cards, and it's trying to to puzzle out. Well, I can just do the obvious move, but I can also do this into that into this, and do something that is, to me at least, way more impressive because right. it, it encourages you and rewards you for the almost meta-knowledge of the game, of knowing beyond just what is written on the cards themselves, but understanding the game and the rules and the mechanics and turning that into your advantage. I think what I really like about deck builders as well is that there's a little bit more um, like forethought that you kind of have to put into things. So like the big difference between a, a deck builder and a hand hand management game is that within a hand management game, you're going to have all of your cards available at all times. You, when you make a move, you make it from your hand. You know exactly what you have. It's either in your hand or it's on the table. And mm -hmm. so you can do very precise movements. But with a deck building game, it's all it's in the name. You're building a deck. And so you, as you draw cards, you may not always get exactly what you want. And so it's about the forethought of, okay, what do I need to put into my deck? But if I put this into my deck, does that keep me and potentially prevent me from drawing something that I need? Like, maybe this is a good card, but if I really need that other card and this makes my deck too big, is it a bad thing? So it's very much like you have, there's a lot of like, you know, you know, trade-offs that you have to make. There's a lot of like forethought that you have to put. And I really like that about a deck builder because it makes the decisions, you know, there is a randomness in the way that you draw. And so you have to do your best to work around that. I think that's what really appeals, uh, appeals to me. I, uh, I think you, you touched on something that I hadn't really been able to articulate about why I like deck builders and you, and you really just made me think about it. So I'm glad you talked about that the forethought aspect of it but deck builders are really fascinating because you're constantly having to make really interesting and sometimes very agonizing choices but which card to buy which card to play which order to play things and so you there's just a really like constant like process of like figuring out the game while you're playing it it also like it's a game that combines almost like two sometimes like opposed ways of like thinking which is on the one hand there there are board games that reward like being able to see patterns and like plan ahead really well and then there are games that reward being able to figure out rapidly changing conditions because it's like a little bit random and deck builders are both like you need to be able to have the vision of like how am i going to plan my deck to win this but also you never know what you're going to like draw each time so you got to make do with the five or six cards that you have right now and so there's a little bit of like good planning, but also improvisational like thinking. And so deck builders are very uh, that that's that's an interesting blend. I think it's what kind of gives them attention and makes them really exciting. And that's why I think the best games in the genre are so addicting. So I guess like the next question is really like how do you think the the genre has sort of evolved? And I know we're going to jump into some of the different games and you know talk about some of that. But I mean obviously you know if we're going to talk about deck building games we kind of need to talk about dominion because dominion is really kind of the granddaddy of the modern deck building games and when you know we look at all the the modern games that we have uh, tyrants of the underdark star realms fort uh even slay the spire you know a lot of these deck building games you got to look at dominion we got to talk about dominion so i assume that you guys have played dominion in the past right yeah it's been a hundred years but yes it has it's been a long time and i honestly think i've only played it once but you got to talk about it it did invent the genre of deck building that's a huge thing that's an almost like crazy thing to think about uh i'm trying to really quickly look at the designer oh yeah donald uh vaccarino donald x donald x vaccarino uh he invented a genre of game. I mean, that's a pretty big deal. Uh, I, I, I guess that's generally considered to be the first deck building game in, in the way that we think about the term. And so it is a, uh, a, a classic board game. It's still in print, so it has a lot of fan, fans. It has, uh, I think at last count, 4 million expansions and counting. Uh, so if you like Dominion, you got a lot of uh, content out there and ways to build and expand upon it but i don't have a whole lot to say about it as a game other than when i played it i was like yep this is very much a deck builder uh it's 
it's one of those things that if you come to it after having played other, this was this was my impression from one play. If you've played a lot of other of the of the deck builders that came since and are doing more complex and interesting things with it, it's like going back to watch like an early movie that inspired other movies, and you're like, oh, okay, I see. This was probably really cool at the time. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's sort of yeah, like no, it, absolutely. I mean, I think that it just it doesn't have quite the the shiny bells and whistles, and of course, I mean the card design. I think there's there's a, a, a beigeness to mm-hmm. the design of the cards that definitely doesn't stand it out. But I mean, as a game, it is still a solid game. I mean, it has there is a randomness to it in that you will always have like out of the 25 different possible types of cards, you're gonna have 10. So there's lots of combinations that you're gonna put out there. I mean, it is very there's only I mean there's a lot of ways that you can adjust the deck building formula. But really, it, it is a, still a fantastic game. And if you enjoy the game, there's lots of expansions that have come out to play it around. There is an incredibly fascinating blog post, actually, by uh, a user on BoardGameGeek that I think we'll link in the description, uh, where he actually dives into the deck-building genre as well and kind of goes into the whether or not Dominion invented that invented it. And there are, I believe he said, like 20 or something games that had that mechanic. But, mm-hmm. of course, you know, Dominion, whether or not you, you want to say it invented, it absolutely took that and, and, you know, shot it to the popularity it's at now. And you can look at all games, they definitely borrow from where Dominion is. So whether or not, I mean, it's kind of like going back to Catan or Carcassonne. You may not enjoy those games because you think there's other ones that are better, but it's still a good game if you go back to it, in my opinion. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's it's absolutely, like you're saying, whether or not it originally created deck builders it is it may not have been first to market but it was absolutely best to market like it it is the the face that launched a thousand ships deck building may have in the literal sense existed before dominion but it really didn't until but not dominion practically put it yeah. on the map yeah, I mean, I think it's like, it's hard to say, like, did this game, like, invent, like, cards, and obviously playing cards and building a, a hand of cards have been around for, like, a long time, but I guess uh, organized into that, the rhythm that, like, we think of as a deck building game, like, play your hand, acquire new cards, put them in your discard, draw them out, like, that exact same kind of rhythm, like, uh, almost all the games in the genre we now call deck building, like, came from dominion so i think it oh yeah i think it arguably built it but it's also like saying like well i mean card play is sort of like fundamental to many games so um but in any event dominion i think it's like the starting point but i think the genre has you sort of started us out this discussion saying how has the genre changed and evolved i think it's evolved in a ton more interesting ways since dominion i think deck building has become it a criticism i think of the genre is it does feel samey but I actually think there are games on the market that have managed to make it feel fresh by taking it in different directions and really uh, subtly like innovating on that Dominion formula in some cool ways. So I guess let's start by jumping into some of those games that you feel have sort of expanded on the formula. And I, I kind of want to briefly talk about Tyrants of the Underdark because I think bringing a board to the deck building genre is is going to inherently change the way that you approach it because there is a solid deck building game within tyrants of the underdark when you think tyrants of the underdark i don't inherently i don't inherently think to myself deck building game it's more of an area control and like an espionage game but there is absolute there's like two games going on at once there so it's a very it, it definitely changed the way you approach it yeah, we've talked about Tyrants of the Underdark on the show, and I almost didn't want to bring it up again for like what feels like the fourth or fifth time. I think we might be one of the only board gaming podcasts that are like big Tyrants of the Underdark apologists, but I, I still think it was like a, uh, I still think it was an underrated game, hampered by its price point when it first came out years and years ago. But it's essentially, you're right, it is a, it's a deck building game where somebody brought out an area control game to the party. Uh, in, in Tyrants of the Underdark, you play, uh, you acquire and play cards just like a, any other area control game. But when you take uh, cards that have the attack action, it actually is letting you place uh, units out on the board, essentially, and seize uh, spaces. And so then you get this area control mechanic where you want to try to slowly 
overtake uh, cities on this board and acquire the most spaces to uh, is, is one of the ways that you win. And you have uh, other abilities that you can take out on the board, but you're right. The, it runs off the backbone of a deck building game. It's the same basic thing. You have, uh, you have nobles that give you spendy, you have spendy cards and you have attacky cards and you use your spendy cards to buy more elaborate attacky cards and put them in your, in your deck. But what makes it special is all the unique uh, powers and the interplay between uh, card types. So uh, some of the uh, types of enemy, some of the types of cards and monsters that you acquire uh, will be in a, essentially in like a suit, you know, like undead or demons. And uh, when you play cards in a similar suit, you might get powers that trigger if you play multiple ones in a hand. So all of a sudden, like you know, uh, customizing your deck to like play toward a particular card type becomes like really central to being able to play like a bunch of cards and get a really cool like combo going. But it's just a really tight, uh, fun uh, deck builder there as you try to build your little hand of like minions that's going to let you take the board actions that you need. I was going to say, uh, one of the really interesting things with um, Valley, uh, with Tyrants of the Underdark that you don't see in a whole lot of other deck builders is the that you gain something by burning cards out of your deck more than just getting rid of your crappy starter cards like there are some there's some that you only score if you successfully remove them from your deck and like as somebody who plays a lot of deck builders one of the things i did not care for in tyrants was how hard it can be depending on your setup to successfully to have that ability to burn cards out of your deck that's a great point and i i hadn't thought i didn't think about that because i was yeah i I didn't think about that that's a fantastic point so a core gameplay element in uh most uh these deck builders like aaron said is just some mechanic usually to scrap or trash uh starter cards so you get a leaner deck uh, because your starter cards that you initially build your deck with, you're you're not going to want those to keep popping up in subsequent rounds. Uh, Tyrant Shadow Under Art actually has that, but they change it in a hugely fundamental way. At the end of the game, you score points for the cards in your hand, uh, but a card might be worth one point if it's in your deck, but it might be worth uh, double that or triple that if you retire it. And some of the high-level cards, ones that you acquire later in the game, uh, might be worth really, really big points if you retire them, which is their ver- version of like scrapping them or removing them from the deck. The catch is you can't always do that at will. You need to acquire other cards that let you take the retire you know, action, that lets you move them off to the side. So it is a little bit weird. It's a game that is harder to uh, trim your deck down and get it really refined. And it's also a game where you might purchase a really powerful card only to turn around and scrap it. <laughs> for points, which is a weird thing. I can see that being a uh, turnoff for some people, but I just feel like it's another interesting tactical choice, like from my perspective, because it becomes another way to potentially win and win the game is uh, figuring out how to buy cards and, and scrap them for points if the area control part isn't working out for you. It's really, I mean, it's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, it absolutely turns the idea on its head because you're going to be approaching the deck building from a far different perspective. This is, I like the game, but this is probably one of my least favorite deck building games. If I could remove that entirely and just play the area control, like part of the game, I think I would do so because for me, the, and maybe other people approach the deck building as more of the game, but I, 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 in my per, like the way that I approach the game, it just having to build your deck and do things in that way just frustrates me because I feel like it's constantly just getting in the way. And I get that's part of the idea, but I've always felt more frustrated by putting the cards together in the deck than I have felt like I'm getting good combos. And so for me, this isn't a game that, while I, I respect how much it did to try and change up the formula, I personally just don't enjoy that part of the game very much because of those reasons. Another game that I am a, a big fan of, it's another deck builder, that uses that same uh, mechanism of forcing you to get rid of your best cards is Valley of the Kings. It's a, it's an Egypt-themed deck builder that uh, 
the the way the market works is kind of cool. You basically have a, a pyramid of six cards with three at the bottom, two above that, one above that. And whenever you buy a card, the cards above it crumble in the pyramid and come down, and and you can only buy from the bottom row. Uh, but it the like it's the removing cards from your deck in order to score them is one of the core mechanics of the game. Is instead of uh, archiving or removing or burning or you know whatever it's it's entombing in valley of the kings and basically you're buying all these cards to try and buy the real big points cards that have amazing abilities hoping that you can entomb them because once the game is over you're dead and if it's not buried in the tomb with you it's lost so you only score the cards that you've managed to entomb over the course of the game and I believe the expansion actually adds uh, like some starter cards or some cards that are that get added to your deck, but they are worth they they they're bad to have in your hand, but they're worth negative points if you entomb them. So you're you're discouraged from getting rid of the bad cards in a way. Uh, and it's I mean it's a little small box game. I. I'm a big fan of that and just that general idea of it's not just about like in Dominion especially if you're playing with a base set of cards there are emergent strategies there there are yes, absolutely, absolutely there is a tried and true you buy four of these cards three of these two of those and you've won the game whereas in this you can't just only buy the best cards because you have to entomb those and then once you've entombed all your best cards, now you're just left with the crappy starter cards all over again. Meanwhile, somebody who has kind of diversified the, the types of cards they're getting, they're able to keep going and keep doing things throughout the game. I, I was not familiar with this one. I'm very intrigued to play it. It does uh, sound really cool. I'm looking at pictures of it right now, and I just have to say that I'm getting strong first-generation Magic the Gathering cards from the art and design, and I, <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. I think that's really cool, though, is, I mean, both of these games, you know, and you alluded to that, though, have focused on a different part. Like, it makes you focus on a different part of the deck building genre like you know in this game it's about what you throw away in the in, in tyrants of the underdark it's about what the the cards are giving you for the stuff on the board so they're just a means to an end they're not actually the building the deck is is not the winning moment in and of itself so there's a lot of ways to sort of adjust and approach the formula i think one of the one of the most interesting games that we've played has been fort um because it's it's it is a deck builder but in many ways it's it's very much like this last game where it's about you're constantly getting rid of cards and more so than i think any other deck builder i've played it really has this very difficult decision space where anytime you play a card you play it in front of your player board and then after that card is played, people around the table have the option to take that card from you. And so you have to balance the benefits of playing the card versus losing it. So you're you're going through the card like you're you you rarely get the opportunity to build a combo in your hand the way that you do in a lot of other deck builders. It was really interesting, Matt. I know we played this a little while ago, but I remember we did have a bunch of interesting conversations about it. Yeah, it was um uh it was really weird. Like the whole idea well first of all, Fort um uh it has like the cutest art and like theme of like any uh of any debt building game you're ever gonna play. It's basically a game of like little kids having a backyard war and so you got this like cute art of like little peanuts, uh Charlie Brown looking kids with like weird little like weapons and you know makeshift gear and it's it's really cutesy and funny it's got a cute theme but the central mechanic of like making it of like you could draft cards from other players from the cards that they've played uh is uh really was like really strange the other thing about that game that i thought uh the only other th we played it once it doesn't stick out a lot in my mind but the other thing that i remember struggling with 
and you brought this up last week uh, or the last time that we were together, uh, Aaron, is games that use excessive like symbology versus yes. words. I was gonna say that to uh, to like convey what's going on. And I, in this I, game, the symbols are like pizza. What is what is pizza? What does pizza mean? Yeah, I remember that game being borderline <laughs> inscrutable because I don't think there are any words. I think it's a wordless game, and so you have to like really like piece together the game's like symbology to even figure out like what the heck is going on on the turn. Like, yeah, actually, I'm looking at a picture of it like right now. And like on a card, it might be like uh, an arrow, like a swirly arrow with like a stack of things and then an arrow pointing left and a bracket and then like a blue book times this. I mean, what's that even mean? You know, that that's just you have to like constantly hold this like uh, vocabulary of symbols in your mind to like well, that's uh, the, make it when work. the game comes with a sheet that you give to every single player that translates the symbols for you maybe you should have just translated the symbols to begin with. But that's that's neither here nor there. Yeah. The, the actual mechanics of the game, I mean, it's it's obviously all put together, and it's a fascinating twist on the deck-building idea that yeah. as you're building other people's decks for them almost in the way that you, in the way that you play, and you can get cards, but you kind of need to expect to play those cards. If it's a good card, you He's might play it taken. one time. Yeah, so you get one choice. Well, you get one use out of it. Which is a very different approach to almost uh, almost every other deck building game. I mean, yeah, sometimes you're going to take a big card just to trash it and get you know yeah. points, like in some of these past games. But a lot of time, you pick a good card because you want a good card. Yeah. And if you're digging that good card to use it once and then give it to somebody else, that changes everything. Well, it just becomes a really like fluid game where it's like you don't in Fort. It's like you don't really have your deck. Uh, every card that's been played and it's out in the yard, remember these are like kids having a backyard battle. Every card that's out in the yard is up for grabs. And so your deck is constantly like in flux like everyone else's as everyone just like trades cards. And so it's 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 less permanent. Like you're not really like building your deck. You're just kind of looking at what's out there. It's probably the most fluid and less con least controlled of any deck builder I've ever played. Which again, you're right, it's a fun variation on it. And it just goes to show you that like in a genre that is sometimes criticized for being very samey, people are finding ways to like mix that formula up in interesting ways. Yeah. I think for me I the the aspect that I like about deck building is being able to create something that can that builds on itself. It gets better and better and, and the planning ahead and making that work is something i like about it which is why uh, some of these games frustrate me a little a little bit because that's not what i'm getting out of the deck building there but a game that does do that for me and a game that i really like is star realms which you know i know matt you really enjoy as well i think that's gonna that's gonna dovetail into our discussion about uh digital deck building games versus right. you know physical but star realms is a much simpler game, I will say, very much simpler than pretty much any of the other games that we've mentioned so far, except perhaps Dominion. But even then, it only there's only two people, and there are also fewer cards available for you to pick up. I mean, you mm -hmm. of course have your starter deck, but then there's only ever five cards available to pick up, and each turn, I mean, like it's very simple. You either attack, you purchase stuff, or you yeah. know, you maybe scrap cards, and so it's very basic. But there's so much flexibility in what you want to go for. And as the game goes on, you're, you're going to come with combos. You're going to be drawing cards. You're going to be placing cards down. And those cards are going to build off of other cards. And that's what I don't get in a lot of these other games. Because the, the combo aspect of deck building games is what I love the most about it. Where you, put, you get the right set of cards. And if you build around card draw enough and if you can make it work, you can play maybe half your deck in one round. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's where, uh, okay, well, first of all, a couple of thoughts to all that. One is, I, I, Star Realms to me is the platonic ideal of a deck building game. I, I'm prepared to say that it's the best deck building game. Pure deck building game. Something like Tyrants of the Underdark has, has merged deck building with another mechanic in a way that is like it's powering the area control. Or like in Lost Ruins of Arnak, the deck building card play is powering your worker placement stuff. Uh, but this is just a, the Star Realms is just a pure deck builder. It's just straight up. 
uh, I'm trying to draft as many cool cards as I can to create as many cool combos. And the thing that's so addictive about Star Realms, so the quick setup, though, is that it's dueling space fleets, basically. Uh, you're going to be purchasing cards from a, a shipyard, uh, a, a merchant row in the middle, and you're slowly trying to build a fleet of cards, and on your turn you're trying to attack your opponent and whittle them down to zero health. It, it very much has its like origins in Magic the Gathering. It wears its kind of Magic the Gathering DNA very proudly. Um, what I love about Star Realms is uh, the snowball effect. Uh, this is a game that like for about three, four turns, it's like, pew, I did one damage. Pew, pew, I did two damage. And then very quickly, it's like, I did 10 damage. I did 15 damage. I did 25 damage, and you're dead. It's like, it's insane how quickly it starts to, like, snowball. And that feeling of, like, watching your deck really, like, click and start to take off is awesome. Yeah, uh, Star Realms is is absolutely a phenomenal, phenomenal game. One for its more simplistic approach to to deck building than some of the the other games that we've mentioned and and may continue to mention i mean it really as as much as a game can take something that already exists in a very simple form and say that it strips it down to its basics it Mm -hmm. really does like it is a pure simple 1v1 your cards 90 percent of the cards either give you more money to buy cards or give you guns to shoot the other guy yeah and that's it like some of them get rid of stuff and then a handful i mean they all do something kind of funny give you more life draw an extra card but it's it's very mechanically it's very simple straightforward easy to grok easy to understand and the fact that it comes in a box the size of like two standard bicycle deck cards that i mean basically every uh game store you go to it'll just be like a display on the counter because it's just so small. Um, they also, yep. the Wise Wizard Games uh, has also released Hero Realms, which is a re-implementation of Star Realms as a fantasy-type game. And in that, they introduced characters where instead of everyone starting with the exact same starting deck, the same opening cards uh you pick a character class and that affects your starting cards you also get uh powers that you can activate that only you have access to and it adds just enough asymmetry like if you really like star realms but you want something that's just a step above that uh hero realms is also a fantastic direction to go in yeah i'm glad you mentioned hero realms uh we picked that up and only played it a few times. It didn't quite replace Star Realms for, for us in the mix, uh, but it's still very good. It's it's mostly just like what if Star Realms was in Magic Land, but it does have some unique like twists on it. And they added things like a campaign mode and some other co and like a cooperative element that is sort of different. I've never played that, but that's you know if you don't like that, you have the head-to-head like battle, but. Yeah, it's definitely something to be said for the fact that Star Realms is a very complete and very strategically satisfying game for about twelve bucks, <laughs> and so that's that's really that's a good yeah. deal, especially if you're just trying to figure out do I like this genre. Um, it's also easy. Uh, you're you're right. It's easy to grok. Like it's just even it's like visual language. Like there are four. I think it's four different like factions in the game that are basically just yellow, red, blue, and green, and they all have easy to remember like core like traits like red yeah. lets you scrap stuff and blue lets you heal and green is just does a ton of damage and yellow does card play stuff draw or make your opponent discard and so once you learn like the language of the game you can start putting together like really interesting decks like this is a like this to go around i want to concentrate on doing high damage but also like drawing more cards so i'm gonna play like, green and yellow which would be a weird combo but you can start playing with that and within this very little box you can do a lot of fun things Star Realms is also a great place to jump off because I kind of want to talk about digital deck building games because this is a great place a great place to start with this because Star Realms has a fantastic app yes. that you can download. It's five bucks on Actually, Android, you can probably download the, same the app iOS. completely for free. That's true. You can download it for free. There are expansion packs that you can buy, but it is actually free to start with. And uh, there's like 
And one of the things that I like about a, a digital deck building game, especially if we're going to talk about Star Realms in particular, I will never play Star Realms with another person over the table and not have an app to keep track of the damage that we're oh, each dealing with. you don't each like other. those cards that you sit on top of each other and slide and then it, flip and rotate? Yeah, those things That's are... That's not a great life tracker the method, to you? The method that they <laughs> came up with is just... <laughs> Just the worst possible <laughs> way of keeping track of health. And it really it really could have just not come with those, and I feel like that would have been better than, yes. than having included them in the first place because <laughs> you feel obligated to use them at first, and then somebody yeah. bumps the table, and then it's like, wait, was I at 35 or 37? Guys, I definitely had 70 health. Don't, don't <laughs> I definitely me. had 70. I never figured out how to use them. I remember like trying one time and immediately realizing <laughs> that, like, okay, I'm just going to go back to old school, uh, just Magic the Gathering, just notepad, write down my health. But yeah, you're right. I mean, you're trying to tick down uh, from 50 to zero, and you've got to keep track of health going up and down. There's a handy little app to do that if yeah. you... Uh, where I kind of want to go with that is having a digital version allows you to eliminate a lot of the busy work that comes with a card game. And you can do that, obviously, within a game like Star Realms, where you don't need to keep track of your points. But also, you know, shuffling, making sure that it's thoroughly shuffled, getting, you know, new cards out, the whole process of scrapping. Like, it gets rid of the busy work. Now, you're not going to do that, obviously, with a bigger game like Tyrants of the Underdark, because the board is part of it. But when you play games that distill deck building down to kind of the basic deck building, I think that actually doing it digitally gives you more space to work with. You can do more interesting things with the deck building mechanic itself without having to add things on top of it. I mean, just just staying on like physical games that you can also play digitally, like just not not introducing you know mechanics that you could only do in a digital format. Uh, Star Realms, uh, Hero Realms, actually, just recently they launched an app for that. Shards of Infinity, which is uh, just a side tangent on Shards of Infinity. Two mechanisms that it has that I really love. One is there are cards in the deck called Mercenaries. You can either add them to your deck and put them in your discard pile for later, or alternatively, when you buy the card, you can immediately hire it as a Mercenary, it comes into play right now and then is discarded from the game at the end of your turn. So you can buy a card that's really good for you right now, get use of it right now, but then it's gone forever. It also has an alternate win condition where, uh, in addition to money and power, cards can give you a third resource called Mastery that is persistent throughout your turns. If a player has their Mastery up to 30, and then they play the Shard of Infinity, then the card says if you have 30 mastery when you play this card, you get infinity power. So you just mm -hmm. ascend to godhood and obliterate everyone at the table, and that's fantastic. But back to the, the main topic of digital deck builders. I think deck builders are uniquely, phenomenally improved by being digital versus physical. If we're talking about just pure, raw deck building games, uh, you guys are probably like, Max is, I don't know that he's ever not playing Star Realms on his phone. Like, I don't, I don't know that if his eyes are open, if he is conscious and awake, that he does not have one or two or three games of specifically Star Realms going on his phone. And what's great about it is it takes a game that if you and I were to sit down at the table crack open the box, shuffle up the cards, deal everything out, da-da-da-da-da. 20, 30, maybe 45 minutes if you're not familiar with the game or one of us is thinking, you can bang out a game of Star Realms on your phone against a human person in, like, five minutes. Like, it's... But I think that... Like, I like that, though, because I can get the whole rising action, falling action, I can get the whole plot of the game and all the satisfaction that brings, and it's so much quicker. And again, we're not having to stop and shuffle our decks every two or three turns. We're not having to separate out which expansions are we going to use this game, because honestly, if they're already in the deck, I'm probably just going to say, screw it. I don't feel like going through and looking for the little symbol in the bottom corner of the card and setting mm -hmm. those off to the side. We're just going to play with what's already in here because 
neither one of us wants to watch me separate this pile of cards for the next 10 minutes. Uh, I'm going to play devil's advocate. Voice voice your dissent. uh, I will hear it, but I will not respect it. I've got to to disagree. (laughs) I've got to disagree. Uh, I I see what you guys are saying. It's like, okay, yes, it's easier. There's less upkeep. It's not as fiddly. I get the... uh, I get the endorphin rush of just playing it and not having to like deal with it. But also like at that point, just play a video game. Like to me, <laughs> like the whole idea of like, like you could like what you're saying could be true of every digital version of every board game. Like board games but are see, fiddly I... and you have to set them up. So like, of course they're like some more simple from that, from like the, just like dive in and play standpoint. That's true of everything. Uh, I like the cards. I like shuffling. I like, holding my little deck in my hand and like fanning it out like a poker player or like uh, all of that. I like, I, you know, I think there's something to be said for the tactical experience of even just sitting down and playing with cards. I'm always, I've always been a big, I will always be a big fan of the tact, tactile experience and getting to hold the cards. But I think my response to be with that, you know, of course, of course there's always a place for that. And I still enjoy those games, but I think that with deck building in particular, you can do so much more when you don't have to worry about all the little fiddly bits. For instance, think about Slay, Slay the Spire, you know, one of the best games of, you know, the, the past several years. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. We both, we all, we all really love this game. Mm-hmm. And I don't see how you could convert Slay the Spire, and they're, they're going to try, I but I don't say, see I mean, how you are. convert the same idea into a physical card game with the same level of success. Because how do you deal with the random monsters that come in? You still have to have a... You know, the, the dungeon, so you know what's coming ahead, so you can play in your deck based on the monsters that you know you'll probably interact with. Like, there's a whole lot of stuff that you add to the game, but it doesn't change that the core of the game is still about building your deck. But there's a lot of information that the game is able to give you about how you should build your deck that allows you to make those decisions and have a more informed way of playing and get better because of that. Whereas, if you were to do that in a physical space... There would just be so much, I think, to add on top of it that it'd be really hard to do. I think there's a reason that, like, a lot of the, some of the most popular games, like in the last couple of years, have a, a lot of them, especially like at least indie games, have been deck builder games. I mean, Slay the Spire in 2017, Monster Train 2020, Loop Hero 2021, Inscription 2021. I mean, these are some of the top indie games that have been coming out in the last couple of years, and a lot of them are deck builders. Well, I definitely agree with you that I don't think you could replicate Slay the Spire accurately in the physical form. Uh, and I'm fascinated to see what they're going to try and do really with this uh, with this uh, board game version of Slay the Spire. It just it feels like they're going to have to strip out so much of what makes that game interesting. But because what they did there is they didn't actually take an existing board game and just do a digital version. They took a board game mechanic and married it with like video game stuff to make something that's really like the best of both worlds. You've got a branching dungeon crawl experience versus really interesting monsters all powered by essentially a board game mechanic, collecting and playing cards. So I guess I'm just not prepared to go as far as you guys and say that like across the board deck building is better digital. Uh, I just think that it's obviously possible to take a deck building mechanic and adapt it into a different form and have fun with it. I think actually it just kind of speaks to what I feel like the point of this whole conversation is, is like the deck building mechanic is incredibly versatile. It has been turned into area control board games, uh, role playing video games, and even just like straight up head to head punch fest like Star Realms. But it one, can... of my, one of my favorites we don't have time for Quest for Eldorado. It's a racing game. Sure. Or it, uh, it uses the, the deck building as the, the central way to, to get around the board. And a game I've never played, but I'm dying to, is Thunderstone Quest, a huge complex dungeon crawl, all built around deck building. Yeah. Uh, so it's just a stalwart little mechanic, and I think there's a reason why it's stuck around. I think that's the reason why uh, it Dominion's legacy is, is so long, is because it's just a really versatile mechanic that you can use to power a lot of really interesting games. So that's the episode on deck building games. I know we threw a lot at the wall. There was a lot to talk about, but I think we all just really love this mechanic. We all love these games. They're fantastic. As always, if you did enjoy this episode, please do consider leaving a review, rate it, 
like us on whatever podcast platform that you do listen to, or please do get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. Maybe what your favorite deck building games are. Do you have a stance on whether it's better digitally or physically? Matt, if people want to get in touch with us, where can they do so? Sure. If you can give me your garbage opinions about deck building games, you can find us on, uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you can find us on the Instagram <laughs> at dice pirates. Uh, we uh, are there all week long. Posting about the games we're playing and giving you little updates on what's going on with us. We got reviews, we got uh, commentary, we have pictures occasionally of cats in game boxes. Uh, check us out. We'd love to hear from you, and uh, I promise I won't call your game your comments uh, garbage uh, on the post. He'll only do that if he can look at your face when he doesn't. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another Captain's Log and then another episode in two weeks. So, of course, keep an eye out for that. But until then, we will be right here on the Dice Pirates. Mm-hmm.